Scripture reading today is uh, John 13, verse 31 through 35. It starts out, it says, When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is in him. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. When I was a kid, we had a boxer named Bootsy, and then we would travel in the summer to come to Louisiana, because we lived in New Mexico and family was here, so we would come here for sometimes a month at a time. And when we did, we left Bootsy sometimes in, the, in good hands. We, there was a lady there that did like dog sitting, right? And in fact, she loved Bootsy so much she would send her birthday cards and stuff. It was, it was neat. Addressed Bootsy. <laughs> um, but you know, before we would leave, she had to come over and we had to say, now, you know, look, here's what we do, right? Here's, the, here's where we keep the food. Uh, you know, here's how she likes it. Uh, you know, here's the routine. And uh, if you, you know, here's where the leash is. If you take her on a walk, that'd be great. All those kinds of things, uh, you know. And we weren't high maintenance pet people, obviously, leaving our dog in someone else's hands. Some of you, if you left your pet in someone else's hands, it would be like, listen, <laughs> here's how you take care of Frufru. <laughs> because you're about to be gone and, and you want to make sure that this pet is taken care of. Obviously, it's a poor illustration for what we're talking about with Jesus and his disciples, and yet that same emotion that maybe you've experienced is a hint at what maybe Jesus was feeling as he prepared to be gone physically from his disciples. And there were some things that he needed to make sure that they understood, final instructions, if you will, before he left the scene. And so we're in this series called Before I Go, because it's as though Jesus is saying to him, to his disciples in particular, before I go, you should know these things. And today we're looking at, before I go, you should know to live my command. Our world today is in a lot of disagreement on things. I don't know if you've noticed in the news, uh, you know, politics, policies, debates over what we should do. Uh, some people say that it's not, uh, not very kind or loving to put a wall along a border. Other people say, well, it's not very kind and loving to you know, kill babies before they're born. Uh, there's lots of debates about foreign policy and whether we should be intervening in Syria or whether we should be uh, intervening over here. Do we have a responsibility out of love to stop being friendly towards uh, people who are murderers and violate human rights? And, uh, but what if they have oil? And all these questions that we deal with as a nation and people debate over. And But I've found that it's interesting that at least in word, no one denies one thing, that we should be motivated by love. 
Some people think that it's more loving to have a border wall. Some people think that it's, that it's not loving to have a border wall, right? Some people think that it's not loving, we don't know how they get there, but they think that it's not loving to prevent a woman from getting an abortion if she needs one or wants one. That's what they really believe. At least that's what they say they really believe. And I, I believe some of them do. We believe that that's a, a life, a human life there. And it can't be loving to end that. But there's all these different disagreements about how love plays out. And yet no one disagrees, at least publicly, that love should be the motivator and the driving force behind what we do. But I wonder how we got to that point. Because that has not always been the case. Right? I mean, even in name, people wouldn't have said that they were motivated by love. They were motivated by power. Motivated by greed. They wouldn't have called them those things either, right? But glory. Glory for their king. Glory for their nation. Glory was what they sought at others' expense. It was a dog-eat-dog world. They wouldn't have lost sleep over the nation next door being as poor as dogs while they were rich. That would have been something to be proud of. They were not motivated by love. Most of them didn't really worry that much about poor people. The poor people were there to serve, right? Like, these things did not cross their minds the way that it crosses our minds today. What changed? A man came teaching a better way of life. And while not everyone in our society sees him as Lord, they surprisingly claim to champion a lot of what he championed. The question then remains, is the love that we champion the kind of love that he was talking about? And we have to sort that out and, and that's part of what we're going to talk about today as we examine Jesus' words in this passage where he begins again to speak of what was coming. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews so I tell you now where I'm going you cannot come. We're about to be parted. I will not physically be here any longer. Every week that we're in this series, it seems like he says something like this. We're in this section of the Gospel of John where Jesus has fully turned his attention to where he's headed, to the cross. And he has these final things to say to his disciples. My children. And they were young. And he was about to leave them. He was about to leave the greatest movement the world had ever seen in their hands, these young and unprepared disciples. What did they need to know? A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. A new command. A new command. Jesus 
was pretty radical in his day for a Jewish teacher. Because he seemed to assert that what he was doing was fulfilling the covenant of the law and that he was going to bring a new covenant. They were familiar with lots of commands. He came with one command. They asked him what the greatest command was and he told them, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Those things that he quoted actually come from the Old Testament. There's nothing new about them in the sense that they had been around along with a lot of other commands. But Jesus boiled it down to this one thing. And in his new covenant, purchased by his blood, there is one command. Love. But not just love. As I have loved you. There's a type of love, and I'm so glad that he specified that, because even though they had words that were more specific to the meaning of what kind of love this is than, than what we have, we certainly need clarification about what kind of love he's talking about. Because we talk about love in a lot of different ways. I mean, we talk about loving food, loving pets, loving romance, which all those things, for the most part, really boil down to things we desire or enjoy. There's, there's, a, there's a kind of love that like a grandparent has, right, for their grandchild. And they talk about loving, that they love their child too much to get them in trouble. They, they love this grandchild too much to not give them candy or toys, right? Whenever they want it. It's the parent's job to do the other stuff. Their job is just to love. Is that love? Then there's the love of some parents that are so... Their standard is so impossible that they hold for their kid and they're so over-demanding and, and they hold this standard and they demand that their child measure up. But they can't ever measure up. But it's for their own good that they hold this high bar. They set this bar and they demand that they... Is that love? There's the kind of love that we probably think about the most is that romantic love of gushy, warm feeling that you get when you're falling in love with someone and, or you're on your honeymoon or, you know, you, it's your first crush. That kind of love that's basically just built on emotion, right? It's like it's a feeling that crops up in your mind, we don't like to think about it, but it's just like hormones being released and chemicals in your brain that make you feel all tingly and fuzzy. <laughs> Is that love? Then there's, you know, after you've been married a while kind of love that seems really grumpy sometimes. <laughs> Is that love? Then there's the church kind of love where... Uh, you know, everybody needs to be happy all the time, right? Like we can't just, we can't make 
don't shake anything up. This is, you know, we all need to get along. And so everybody needs to be happy. If someone's not happy, just don't do it. Don't say anything that might, you know, upset somebody. Just keep it about the weather. <laughs> Certainly we wouldn't call someone out on sin, would we? Like, if they're living in sin, just let them live in sin. We don't ruffle feathers. We don't, you know, it, our job is to love. If someone is asking for aid, certainly the world expects that we should give it. Like, aren't we the love people? Like, that's our thing. Is that love? Thankfully, we have a model and a definition of what Jesus says is love. Love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. And so we can read the Gospels and we can actually look at Jesus' life and see how he loved. We can, we can get a picture of it. it. It may not be as clear a picture as if we had gotten to walk physically beside him like those first disciples did, but we can get a pretty good picture by reading about Jesus and, and what he did. Jesus, we know from reading the Gospels, paid attention to people who were ignored in society. He had time for people that no one had time for. We know that Jesus touched people that no one would touch. Possibly at risk to his own health, right? Like, he went out and touched contagious people with diseases that no one had to cure. And, and sure, you can say, well, you know, he was Jesus, and so he probably didn't have to worry about those things. Well, maybe not. But it's a picture it's a picture of what Jesus-like love looks like. But Jesus also called people to repent from the way they were living. To live better lives, to live moral lives. He called them to do this. He didn't celebrate sin. Jesus was quick to serve and slow to demand service. You might notice that Jesus weeps with people who are weeping and he celebrates with people who are celebrating. That everyone he met, he seemed to try and improve their lives in some way. He was thoughtful of what they needed. He also had harsh warnings for pride-filled people who championed injustice. For those in their charge... These are just a few things that I've noticed when I look at Jesus. And there's probably things that you would notice when you think about Jesus and, and what he did. That help us gain a living picture of what kind of love Jesus is talking about. Now we might still find specific things that we might disagree on how Jesus would handle it. You know, what he would do at the border might still be up for debate. But as we look at Jesus, in our personal lives, we begin to figure out a little more of what it would look like for us to live out this one command. This one command that Jesus left to us, to love, not just to love, but to love as he loved us. And his, his disciples, 
um, they saw this and they passed this on and, and one of his apostles that came along a little late but still clearly got this message of love as well as anyone wrote a letter to the early church. It's one of the first letters that we have and it's so interesting to me that the, one of the first letters that we have written to the early church by an apostle speaks in depth about Christ-like love and what it looks like. You're probably familiar with it if you've been to many weddings. It gets read sometimes. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is patient. It bears with people. It doesn't get frustrated fast, right? It doesn't fly off the handle the first time someone doesn't go at the green light. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. How could it be? We don't see those things in Jesus' life. We see a perfect willingness to do without very much at all. A humility, like we talked about last week, the humility of a servant. It's not so much about thinking less of yourself as it is about thinking of yourself less, right? Thinking of others more. Does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's others seeking. It is not easily angered. keeps no records of wrongs. So I'm guessing it's not constantly bringing up the things that they did wrong over and over again not letting them die just gotta keep it no it doesn't do that love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth this is one sometimes I feel like our society misses that feels like in our society's definition of love you must celebrate whatever they do and whatever their desires are even if you might think they're wrong which you shouldn't think they're wrong because it's their thing, right? And you should just accept them and celebrate. But we're called to a different kind of love, a love that distinguishes between right and wrong and what is good for someone and what is, good and what is bad and what is good for a society and what is bad. And so there's things that we can't celebrate. But we can always celebrate truth when we find it. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never dies. There's a, a guy named uh, Father Robert Barron. He's a Catholic teacher and uh, he's got this quote about love that I liked. That love is not a sentiment or a feeling, but that love is actively willing the good of the other. Love is actively willing the good of the other. We might say it this way today because I think that there's even maybe something we could add to that. That, that Christ-like love pursues their good even at your expense. Love one another as I have loved you, he said. 
And how did Jesus love us? It cost him everything. And so we know that a Christ-like love pursues their good at your expense. Your good at my expense. That there will be things that I will sacrifice if I'm loving like Jesus loved me. That this is his command. We have a picture of it, a living picture of it. By, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Christ-like love pursues their good at your expense. It's not just any kind of love. It's a very specific kind of love. So if we're going to incorporate this into our life, we've got to ask, do we even want to love like that? Or do we prefer the definitions that we've received from the world around us of what love means? I mean, packaged in this definition is the acknowledgement that this will cost you something. Possibly everything. So do you even want to love like Jesus? Of course, if you believe he's the king, and this is his command, then we may not have much choice. But still, if you're ever going to be very good at it, it might be worth wrestling down to the ground. Do I really want to love like this? Because when it comes down to it, this kind of love, this Jesus sort of love, is not a feeling. It's not something where you wake up and you feel it, or you wake up the next day and you don't feel it. That's not this kind of love. It's, it's something that you decide on that you will yourself to do. It's, it's part of your will. Maybe that's not a word we think about very much, but it's, this is actually something that you will to do, or you will not to do. You have to decide if you're going to love like this and determine in your heart to do it. To actively pursue their good at your expense does not come naturally. It doesn't just well up inside you. Oh, it might for, you know, that romantic kind of love we talked about earlier that strikes with, you know, in your early days of romance, it can make you do some crazy things that look like self-sacrifice. You know, I can't tell you how many hours of sleep I sacrificed. How many dollars I spent on dates. And she'd take half of it home and eat it the next day for lunch. It's like I was buying the girl's whole meal plan. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. You do crazy things when you feel that way, but it's not this kind of love exactly it's I mean it's still kind of self-motivated like you you know you're trying to 
put a ring on her finger, right? You're trying to get something done. So, yeah, you do crazy things. But this is a clear-headed sort of love that determines to pursue their good, even at your expense. Something where, even and especially when you wake up and don't feel it, or when you run into that person that you don't really like, that you still will their good, even if it's going to cost you something. This is what Jesus did. This is what he showed us. And this is what he commanded. I don't mean just to make it sound all bad. I, I actually believe that this kind of love is the life you were designed for. And that when you pursue it, you will find a level of peace and joy in your life that you didn't think possible. That withstands negative circumstances and events in your life, a peace and a joy that runs deeper than anything the world has to offer. I believe that that's what comes, just a part of what comes when you love like Jesus loves. I think it's the best way to live. But it does require us to determine, to will ourselves to pursue the good of the other even if it's at our own expense. And so we have to decide, are we willing to pursue that kind of love? And if you are, then surprisingly, it seems like the most important thing you can do is to try and experience this kind of love. To experience and seek to understand how Jesus loves you. How he loves you. What he did for you. How he sacrificed for you. In another letter to another church, the Apostle Paul said he got on his knees and begged that God would give these people, this church in his care, the power to comprehend just how deep and how wide and how high and how long is the love of Christ. In, in another letter to another church, he said, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. He was constantly wanting people to wrap their minds and their hearts around how much Jesus loved them. And if you and I are going to experience the love of Christ, there's at least a couple things that we can do on our end to kind of wade into that love and experience that love. And one is to confess. To confess what's wrong with you. What's wrong with me? To ask forgiveness. And to find it in the blood of Jesus. The precious blood of Jesus. For you were not bought with something like silver and gold. But at a much higher price. So to contemplate that. And to stare down the sin in your life. And all the ways that 
you're still very much a work in progress, even if you've already embarked on your journey with Jesus. To, to acknowledge and recognize what He has forgiven in your life. What He forgives in your life. This is a way of experiencing experiencing the love of Jesus, the self-sacrificing love of Jesus that willed your good even at his expense. And of course, the other part of this is just to spend time with him, this one that loves you as no one else has ever loved you. To get alone and away from the world Often, Jesus would often retreat into quiet places and spend time with his Father. I'm sure in all the chaos of his short time in ministry, the quick rise to fame and popularity and the knowledge of what he was headed towards that he needed to rest in the Father's love and the father felt the need to affirm from time to time, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. If Jesus felt that need, then surely we should feel that need to spend time with our Savior and our Father. To spend time alone with God. To think about these things that he's taught us. To think about his way of love. To have your mind renewed by a new definition of what love is. This comes largely, largely from spending time with him and with his words. Man, a great exercise would be to memorize that passage in 1 Corinthians that we just looked at, right? 1 Corinthians 3, 4-7. To go home this week and begin to memorize it so that you can think through it often. Not just so you can check it off that I've got it memorized, but so that you can work it over in your mind often. And you'll find that there's parts of this definition of love that particularly hit home to you that don't measure up, don't line up with the way that you've defined love in your life. And that you need to kind of rethink this thing. I mean, just take time. You can spend a long time just thinking about love is patient. And how that works out in your life. Spending time with God. Letting His way soak into your mind and your heart so that it becomes your way. Do you want to love like this? Then be someone who's quick and humble enough to confess and find forgiveness and be someone who spends time with the one who defines this kind of love as I have loved you as I have loved you Jesus said by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Sometimes in our day and age, I feel like, how are they going to know the church? Because everyone's talking about love. 
Everyone's talking about love. And everyone thinks that they know what love is. So if we go around saying we're loving, then they turn around and say, no, you're not, because you're not celebrating this over here. <laughs> How's that work? How are they going to know? But as I studied for this message, I thought, you know, this kind of love, no one else is doing this. Not as a group. Unfortunately, there's maybe not many Christians who are doing it either. But if we did, if we really loved like Jesus, and by his definition, the way he defined it, as he has loved us, it would be different. They would see our families and wonder what holds us together when most families are fragmenting apart, broken and at each other's throats, full of drama and problems all the time. How does your family find peace? Why do they seem to genuinely care about each other? Why do they show up and help? <laughs> They'll see our churches and find something deeper and more dedicated than what they can find in any bar or club or gang or political party. And they'll see our unity that seems to spread across boundaries that aren't supposed to be crossed. That we love one another even when there's different ethnicity or political perspective, or gender, or whatever involved, that, that we love one another with a kind of love that wills the good of the other, even at our own expense. And then, they'll know who we belong to. Because there's only one who taught and lived that kind of love. So if we do it, they'll know. They'll know whose we are. We won't have to invent a new word for love. We'll just be living and showing what it really looks like. The Jesus kind. Worth pursuing? Could it change the world? I have no doubt that it could change your life and my life, my family, your family, and our church, our community. So let's pray for the grace of God to fill our hearts with love. Father, thank you for the light of your love. God, we admit that sometimes what we call love is not very loving at all. Especially when we hold it up against the example of Jesus' life. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with your love. Empower us to put that love on display to a world in desperate need of the peace 
and joy and life that it brings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.